Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Twice Freed by Patricia Sanjan with permission of Christian Focus Publications. And we are on Chapter 4. There was a moment's stunned silence, and both the boys stood rooted to the spot. Then the old man pounced on his gold with a triumphant scream and stood there fondling and gloating over it. Then he lifted his skinny old hands to the heavens and began to call down the curses of gods on the thief. That is enough, Master Platus, said Archippus. He tried to speak with authority, but his voice shook slightly. You have your trinket, and I will take my slave home and see what justice is administered. I assure you that punishment will be all he deserves. A branding, shouted the old man, shaking his fist feebly at, at Onesimus. It must be a branding. That I demand. I myself will come in person and see it is carried out. I don't trust boys. Let me speak to his master myself. I will be content with nothing but a branding. Go home, Master Plytus, entreated Archippus, drawing up the mule and trying to persuade the old man to mount it. I will mention the matter of a branding to my father as you wish, but he will decide. I assure you he is not one to let the dishonest thief get off lightly. Justice will be administered. Come, slave. He pushed Onesimus ahead of him with a rather unsteady hand and started and started off up the hill. But the old man had no intention of leaving this affair to Archippus. Passion made him strong, and with a tremendous effort he pulled himself up upon his beast the beast and lumbering and lumbering up the hill on their hills, cursing and slobbering at a mouth at the mouth, trembling with exertion and excitement. Branding, said the goldsmith, was was muttering the word over and over again, the mark of a thief burned indelibly on the forehead of a slave, proclaiming his disgrace and his slavery till the day of his death. No man with that mark could ever again hold up his head among free men. And Onesimus was thirteen. He had a long way to go. A wild idea of flight seized him, and he looked around in desperation but there was nowhere to flee to. The upper plains stretched for miles and with no hope of a hiding place. And that wretched old bag of bones puffing along on the mule behind him would soon track him in the town. He would be pursued and caught like a wild beast if he fled to the canyons. Only death would shelter him now. How gladly would he have embraced death, but where was death to be found? The foaming river was a mile away and he had no weapon. O oh, ye gods, ye gods, if gods there be, he cried from the depths of his terrified heart. O oh, father of gods, and Artemis our father, mother, not branding, O oh, not branding. Trembling and white, driven by Archippus up the hill, Onesimus now reached Philemon's mansion. Archippus gave brief orders to the older slave to put a chain on the boy, and then without a word or a backward glance he began to find his father. The old man seemed unable to dismount and with only restraint, with difficulty from shambling on his mule right into Philemon's private apartment. They stood waiting. Apart from the babbling of the old man, it was very quiet. Pigeons cooed in the nesting box at the side of the house. A small slave girl passed by on, a, on an errand and gave Onesimus a quick, compassionate glance. Her slender little figure and dark trestles reminded him of another and quick tears started to his eyes. What if she should see him with the mark of the brand on his forehead? But he must not weep in front of Archippus, but that was the, the most important thing of all. 
With difficulty, he lifted up his chained hands and wiped away his tears. And then a slave appeared at the door of the outer courtyards and bade the, comp- the party enter. Seeing the mule join the procession, he helped the exhausted old man dismount and half dragged him, half carried him into the presence of Philemon. Philemon sat at the doorway of his apartment, which opened to, into an atrium, and behind him in the shadow of his wife, Aphia, was stitching her embroidery, the gold Phrygian embroidery, famous all over Roman world. Her five-year-old daughter, Pascayasia, played at her feet. Archippus, half hidden behind a pillar, stood waiting for his father. Onesimus saw these things in a dream, and even the babbling of the old man now seemed far away and unreal. He hardly heard what he said, nor cared all the eyes were upon him as he stood there, young and pitiful and in chains. Only his heart kept calling out, not branding, not branding, but to whom he called, or whether there was any to hear, he did not really know. You see, my noble master, finished the old man, suddenly falling flat at Philemon's feet, whether from reverence or exhaustion, no one quite knew. He must be branded. Let us heat the irons that may that I may witness the punishment and be off to my humble home. I am a poor man, master, if you would grant me a slight token of your favor. Philemon glanced at the prostrate goldsmith with extreme distaste and then turned to the white-faced boy in fetters and gazed at him thoughtfully. Onesimus had grown up with his own son and had trembled round his footstool in babyhood. He was surprised at his own reluctance to sentence this slave, but discipline must be maintained, and branding was the usual punishment for thieves. Well, he said rather wearily, he shall be branded. Janus, go and heat the irons and take the boy where my wife cannot hear his screams. All eyes were turned on the boy, and he suddenly came out of his dreams and looked straight at the master. But master, he cried in desperate appeal, I didn't take it. Nonsense! shouted the goldsmith, suddenly wriggling himself the right way up like a caterpillar. Nonsense! Lies! Philemon took no notice. He gazed steadily at the boy. Then how did it get there? he asked rather sadly. How did it get there? Onesimus, in his shock and fear, had not yet asked that question. He had thought of nothing but the branding, but the question must be answered. He stared at Philemon open-mouthed, and then suddenly he turned and stared at, at Arctopus. And then his eyes met only for a moment. The older boy flushed crimson and turned away. There was a long silence broken only by the chattering of the goldsmith. And Philemon looked once at his son and then at his slave. And then the blood seemed to thunder in Onesimus' head till he thought it would burst. Gold cannot disappear without hands, said Philemon at last. And you knew the price. Take him away, Jonas, and do it quickly. Archippus suddenly stepped forward. He did not look at Onesimus, but stood in front of his father's, hands clasped and pleading. Father, father, he cried, not branding. He's only young father. Pardon him. Let him be beaten with rods, but not branding. His father hesitated. Archippus, spurning the old man out of his own way with his foot, fell on his knees before Philemon. Oh, father, have mercy. A soft voice at his side made Philemon turn. His beautiful wife, Aphia had laid her hands on his arm and spoke timidly. It was not her place to enter into judgment. My husband, he is your slave who serves you in front of our guest. 
Do you want him spoiled and disfigured? As our son says, he is young. Let the rods teach him. If it happens again, he will be branded. Verlieman smiled at her. He never could refuse her anything, and her gentle wishes were the law of the house. He turned back to Onesimus and spoke sternly. You are fortunate. Render thanks to the gods for this merciful mistress and take heed to yourself in the future. Now go with Janus and be taught by the rods. Silence, Master Goldsmith, and be gone. You shall be given a gold piece to make up for the trouble my slave has caused you. Twenty minutes later, Onesimus, faint and sick, dragged himself to his hut, and his mother asked no questions, for she had been a slave all her life, and this was natural lot of the slave. But she drew her mat to the doorway, because the hut was warm and airless, and she knew her son would be feverish before nightfall. Then she washed his wounds and anointed them with oil and brought him fresh, cool water from the spring. He lay quite still till dusk and his face resting on his arms, too sore and stiff to move, but his brain worked furiously. Yes, how did it get there? He had put two and two together and he knew. When, oh, when would he be free to work out his revenge? The strength of his hatred and the impotence of his hatred nearly drove him mad. He was a slave, and there was nothing whatever that he could do but lie there and hate, hate, hate. Mother, he asked, turning his head with difficulty, how much money is there in the clay clay money box hidden under the hearthstone? Only your gold, gold half aris, arius and a few copper and brass coins, answered his mother gently. But it will come. Have patience, my son. Do not be like your father who fettered his life away, fretted his life away in rebellion against his lot. The gods know best. Stealthy footsteps were heard on the mud path. An archipus crept around the corner of the hut with a cup in his hand, a cup containing a mixture of diluted wine, myrrh, and oil. When he spoke, his voice was unsteady and pleading. I have brought you some posca for your wounds, he said, and and I'm glad you're not, we're not branded. branded. Onesimus took the cup and flung it on the ground with all the strength he could muster and spat. Onesimus fled, and on, Archibus, Archibus fled, and Onesimus felt better. To give vent to his hatred was more powerful tonic than the posca. Tomorrow... Archippus would go to Laodicea, and he need not set eyes on him all day. After that, well, it was better to live a day at a time. He was glad that he would be too stiff and lame to accompany his master to Laodicea. He did not want Urea to see him, servile and obedient, standing in the background, ordered about by Archippus. Let her keep the memory of that day when they were both free children together swinging their legs above the deep pool in the canyon and laughing. The thought of her somehow eased his misery, and he fell into a restless sleep and dreamed that they were once again back in the canyon, but that she was running ahead, beckoning him to follow. The cascades were roaring, and the grass between the the rocks was soft to the foot, and spring flowers seemed to bloom on her tracks. And he knew she was going up and up on swift, tireless feet to the hidden lakes and the snowy summits to freedom and beauty and life, and he was free to follow. And then he awoke to pain and darkness and fever and cried out for his mother. Next day he dragged himself out on the hillside and sat resting on the 
till the sun was high in the sky, warming a little stiffness out of him. He watched the procession set out for Laodicea across the upper plain and disappear over the first descent into the valley. Archippus and Philemon were mounted on beautiful steads, wearing colored colored coats made of the best style in Laodicean factories. A small group of slaves followed, mounted on humbler beasts, and Onesimus followed them in his imagination. They would jolt down hill to the lower plain, which was green and warm and luxurious and sheltered from the snow and the winds that roared across the plain above. Then the valley would be directly beneath them, and they would jog down the stony tracks between the bare vineyards and the silver olive groves to join the eastern highway in the valley. The eastern highway. The very words thrilled him, for four great roads converged on Laodicea, and the travelers could turn where he would, and the world would lay before him. Often in his imagination, Onesimus traveled on those roads, east, north, west to Philadelphia and to Sardis, the wealthiest, luxurious city with its gold-bearing river running through its very market, northeast to the Phrygian plains, the Tardis mountains, the Sicilian gates, and on to the lands of spice and ivory, south to Perga, where the mountains roll down to the coast, west to the seaport of Ephesus and to the blue Aegean Sea, the islands, the land of his father, the mountains of the gods. He lay there dozing till afternoon, letting the sunshine warm and heal him. And then he was jerked suddenly back from his happy dreams, for a man was climbing the hill that led to their home. He was not old, but he seemed tired and leaned on his staff. He was not a particularly fine-looking man, but there was something about him that attracted the boy's attention. Perhaps it was the quiet strength of his lean face or the clearness of his eyes. He was dressed simply, and when he came to Onesimus, he spoke in the local Phrygian dialect. Grace and peace be to you, my son, said the man. Is this the farm of Philemon, and is he at home? It is his house, replied Onesimus, and he's, but he is not here. He has ridden into Laodicea on, on business, and he will probably be, not be back till sundown. Then tell him his old friend, Master Ephesus, called on him, said the man. He will remember, for we grew up here together as boys. Tell him I am staying at my old home, and I will call again. Yes, Master, replied Onesimus, but the man did not move. He stood feasting his eyes on the rugged valley, already softened by the soft green of spring. His eyes swept the landscape and the winding river valley and the proud little hill on which stood Laodicea and the rocky fortress of Heratopolis with its white glacier of limestone. It's a beautiful land, he said suddenly. I should like to sit and rest for a few moments, but I have been walking since sunrise, and if you could bring me a cup of cold water, I should thank you exceedingly. Onesimus rose stiffly and painfully to his feast and hobbled to his hut. His mother was up at the house helping Mistress Afia, but he fetched fresh, fresh water and a platter of olives and dates and dried figs and ranging them with care and a, and a little fear. Had not Zeus and Hermas visited Ophelemon and Bacchus, Bacchus at Lystra to the east, and had they not greatly rewarded him for their hospitality? These things happened, and you could never be sure. There was a light on this man's face that made him different from other men. You are in pain, my son, said the man gently as Onesimus returned and stood respectfully beside him. Sit on the grass beside me and tell me what happened. Onesimus got into a comfortable position and scrawled, I am a slave master. 
he said, and yesterday I was beaten with rods for a crime I had not committed. That is hard, said Ephraim, but it has happened before. It happened to Jesus Christ. They crucified him for crimes he never committed. He prayed for their forgiveness. Onesimus started angrily, Jesus Christ again? What was that name always to pursue and haunt him? This this crucified, vanquished weakling, but he controlled his annoyance and answered politely. Well, Master, it did not do him much good, did it? If they crucified him, it would have been better to have resisted. I mean, they conquered him in the end. But now, said Ephesus, at the right hand of God exalted, he is conquering thousands by his love. Love is stronger than death and stronger than hatred. It conquers all in the end, and it has conquered me. But I do not want to be conquered, persisted the boy. All my life I've been a slave, and one day I shall buy my freedom. I want to be free to go where I wish and to do as I please, to revenge wrong. I hate this bondage, and I hate those who accuse me falsely and punish me without cause. But Jesus Christ can set you free today, replied the man, and his voice rang with triumph. He can free you from your discontent and your hatred. Tell me, does your hatred make you happy? The boy was about to answer and then hesitated. He suddenly remembered how in the night he had wept out in his anger into his pillow and cursed the darkness and how he thought that the dawn would never come. He remembered, too, the peace in his mother's eyes when she had risen up to bathe his wounds and to give him a drink. He stared moodily into space, and then his eyes rested on the proud city across the valley. And he remembered again that afternoon when a little runaway Laodicean maid had taken his heart captive. Dimly he realized for the first time that there were other ways of conquering besides hatred and strife. The answer died on his lips. Tomorrow we'll read chapter 5. I love you, I'm praying for you, and we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.